invite you to open your Bible to Acts chapter 11 this morning. The reason why we always open God's word and it's such a priority is because that is the method by which God initiated to speak to his people through his word. So if you do not have one, I want to encourage you to stop by the store and grab you one, okay? They have them in all shapes and sizes. You can put camo on the front of it, or you can put an old car on the front of it, or you can, ladies, you can buy a pink Bible if you want. I mean, just get you a copy of God's Word. So because it's powerful, because we believe God speaks, because we believe it doesn't return void, we're about to read from Acts chapter 11. We're going to read verses 1 through 18, and we're going to talk about it and pull out some truths and and apply those to our lives, and then we'll go back and read verse 19 all the way through verse 30, okay? Acts chapter 11, I just want to tell everybody that I'm, all the LSU fans, if you have a place on the wagon, I'd like to come and and join the the LSU uh, wagon, okay? Can I do that? Do you have a place for me? No? Okay, all right. I'm still going to let my kids go see Mike the tiger eat eat alligator meat. Okay, Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. Something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. Behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He would declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has has granted repentance that leads to life. What was taking place here in Acts chapter 11 is really a continuation of what happened in Acts chapter 10. 
There were two visions. There was a man named Cornelius. He was a great leader. He was a military man, over 100 people. He had a great uh, retirement pension with the Roman government. He was a great leader. He was a great dad, great husband, God-fearing man, a generous man, and yet he was not saved. You see, because people cannot save themselves. We need something to take our place for our sins, something to appease the wrath of God. The Bible says that in no way he can clear the guilty because he's a righteous judge. He is holy, he is perfect, and we are not. That is why God sent his only son to come and make a way for us. And so Cornelius needed the gospel. So he had a vision. He was seeking the truth, and God met him right there. Then Peter has a vision. He's up on the rooftop about lunchtime. He's hungry, and the Lord shows him, Peter, you can eat all kinds of animals. You can eat alligator meat, and you also can eat flying chickens or any kind of birds. And so Peter was confused. This happened three times. Now remember, Peter denied Jesus three times, and so God was speaking to Peter, telling him what he's about to do. Long story short, Peter shows up, Cornelius, he articulates the gospel, which is the life of Christ, the death of Christ, resurrection of Christ. By the way, you know Jesus is alive? Did you know that, friend? He is alive and he is well. I just want to tell you. And so that was the message that Peter came to tell Cornelius. And Cornelius says, well, how about that, man? I want this Christ. You, you mean to tell me all I have to do is turn away from a lifestyle of sin and, and receive by faith the gospel? Peter says, absolutely. And so Cornelius says, hey, let's do it, brother. I'm all in. And then one at a time, many people began to, began to get saved, except Christ, lives were changed. And the word started spreading. Jerusalem church heard about it. Peter goes to report, and that's what he's doing here in Acts chapter 11. He is giving a report. He is testifying about what God is doing in Caesarea among these Gentile Christians. You see, the Jewish people followed old Mosaic law. They, they thought that... Uh, there was no way that the Gentiles, the second-class citizens in heaven, there's no way that they could have the same kind of relationship with God as they did. We see here in verse 1, here's the first truth. Caesarea Gentiles received the word, and they began to cruise with Christ. They began to walk with the Lord. They began to live for the Lord. They received the word of God. Friend, today, you and I must make a decision. Are we going to receive the word of God that he has for us in our personal lives today or not? Or are we going to say, no, I do not want to hear what God has to say to me. But here, these people received the word of God. They received Christ, and they began to cruise with Christ. They were set free. They came to know the peace that only comes through Jesus. They came to know the freedom that only comes through Christ. They began to know what it's like to have the Lord be with them and live inside of them and walk with them. They began to grow spiritually. Do you, do you have that in your life today? I hope so. The next truth we see is that when God's people are biblically illiterate, then our view of other Christians will be joy deficient. In other words, look what happens in, in verse 2. So Peter went up from Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. The New American Standard says that they took issue with him. They, they had beef. They had beef with uh, Peter. 
because they, they this didn't make sense. And it wasn't so much that they were, they were racist or they were just that they hated Gentiles. It's just they really, truly didn't believe that they could have the same kind of relationship with God, which proves that though they knew a lot of things about the Bible, they didn't know the Bible that well because had they studied their Old Testament, they would have seen stuff about how they would see many times where God reached down and, and caused revival and movements among Gentile people. In John chapter 4, Jesus uh, went and talked to the Samaritan woman and, and told her the good news of the gospel. She'll believe she can have faith. And in Luke chapter 17, the, Jesus healed 10 lepers, and how many returned back to thank him and praise him for it? Only one. It was a Gentile foreigner. And in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus healed the Roman centurion's servant. Jesus turned and announced to the Jewish crowd and said, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith as that centurion man who was a Gentile. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 11, Jesus says, I tell you, many such foreigners shall come from the east and from the west to join Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. That means in Christ, in the kingdom, foreigners from all over. From the east and the west, they're going to join Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Mark chapter 11, verse 17, Jesus says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for the nations. So God has a heart for all people, and the solution to save all people is the gospel. But here in verse 2, these people criticize Peter. You see, they were biblically illiterate. They, they failed to see to remember all the words that came out of the mouth of Christ. They, they forgot that Jesus says, hey, you guys are going to go make disciples of all nations. You guys are going to take the gospel starting in Jerusalem, going to Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. They forgot the word of the Lord. They should have been so thrilled, and they, they eventually got there, but they're not really excited about it. They, they took up issue with Peter. They were frustrated. You know, if our Bible is in the back glass of our car, then our perspective will be broke down on the side of the road. If our Bible is in the back glass or under the seat, and we haven't been in it, and we haven't, don't have a proper theology, a proper view of God's word and his purposes in our life, then our perspective will be broke down and we will not see things as God sees them. They took issue with Peter. You know, if you take issue with the fact that God pours out his mercy on somebody's life, if you have an issue with that, then God will take issue with you. He, God desires to pour out his grace and his mercy on people's lives. And so they, they weren't excited. Now, how can you not be excited about people come to know the Lord and being excited. You know, sometimes when people get fired up about the Lord, there's those people, I believe, in every church, at least in America, and they, they walk around with these discouraging little squirt guns, and every time they see somebody get fired up about the Lord, they just start squirting them with that discouraging water, just trying to put out the fire. And I think God's looking for some people to walk around with squirt guns with lighter, spiritual lighter fluid, and every time we see somebody excited, we just need to squirt them and just fan the flame and get them fired up even more. And say, brother, you get, keep going. Don't let anybody put your fire out. We need spiritual encouragers to fan the flame of people that are excited about the Lord. 
Now, after hearing the truth, the next we see in verse 18, we see that after hearing the truth, guess what happens? They got a little excited. They got a little happy. Verse 18 says, when they heard these things, they fell silent. They glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, their excitement is a little bit contained and conservative, but I think they started to get a little happy. Their foot started to tap a little bit, started to smile a little bit. Next, let's see what happens in verse 19 all the way through verse 30. The church in Antioch. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he, being Barnabas, he, Barnabas, was a good man. Paul's right there. Now, you know the Bible says none are good, no, not one. Did you know that? None are good, not one. The Greek here talking about good, it means that he was a fine man. He was a pleasant man to be around. This is who you wanted to be your golfing buddy. This is who you wanted to take fishing with. This, you wanted to hang out with Barnabas because he was a fine man of God. He was full of the spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Look at verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Okay, Antioch, everybody say Antioch. Antioch. It's about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was bustling with activity. It was a a diverse city. Many people from all over the world came to Antioch, some for business, some just because they liked coming to Antioch, I guess. It was a popular place to be. It was a very religious city. They had every flavor of religion that you could cook up was right there in Antioch. It was in Antioch where they were first called Christians. You know that Jesus didn't give the Christians this name, Christians? The disciples didn't come up with this title, Christians. It was people in this city who decided to call, it was a nickname, they began to call them Christians. The word I-A-N, the the letters I-A-N-S on the end of a word means that they belong to the party of such and such. So if you say, uh, I'm I'm from Arkansas, I'm an Arkansan, then that, that means you belong to the party of Arkansas. If you're a Mississippian, you belong to the party of Mississippi. You belong to them. So if you're a Christian, you belong to the party of Jesus. 
And so this was the, the word, the title, that the people in Antioch began to call these people. And they did this because there was something different about the Christians. When they, they had all these religions, but the Christians had something different. It was a look in their eye. It was a joy that they had. It was a peace that they had. It was a power that they, that they seemed to carry about them that made them stand out from all the other religions, from all the other ways of life. It was the little Christ that captured people's attention. And so many, many people were added to the Lord. And the, the church in Antioch was really small at first, began to grow, began to thrive. And they began to, the power of God was poured out on this little church. Now we see here in verse um, 19 that why did these people, why were they scattered? Well, they were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. If you remember back, Stephen was persecuted. He was murdered because of his faith in Christ. And so here's the truth we see today. Persecution is expected for the local obedient church. Now, if we're not obedient to, the, the, to follow the Lord and to stand up for what he wants us to stand up for and, and to honor him in all of our lives, then those people, if, if we're not obedient, then we're not gonna face much persecution. In fact, we'll probably have very, uh, we'll never face any persecution. If we do exactly what the world wants us to do, exactly what the devil wants us to do. But for the Christian church that's obedient, for the believer that's obedient, it's not if, but when we will suffer because of our faith. You know, we often think that uh, people that are killed for their faith, that that was an old Bible, back in the Bible, old days, that that happens. And that's, that's not something that people deal with today. Well, that, that is a myth, because I have a slide I want to show you. Uh, of all the people that have been martyred since 33 after Christ died, uh, we're going to get a slide up there shortly about all the people that died. You know, Jesus says that if a grain of wheat falls into the earth, if a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it will bear much fruit. You'll see on the chart here, AD 33 to 500, 2.1 million. You say, well, where'd you get these statistics? From the World Christian Encyclopedia uh, is where we, I got these. 2.1 million people died. 8501 to 950, 2.8 million people, martyrs, died because of their faith in Christ. You go all the way uh, to 1914 and you see all the millions of people that have died because of their faith. Now it's true that more people have died since 1914 until modern today than, than all the time added together before 1914. There are people today being slaughtered because of their faith in Christ in India in Iran or Iran, in Iraq, in North Korea, in Laos, and all the many different countries uh, in the 1040 window. People are suffering because of their faith in Christ. Yet most Americans believe this just happened in Bible times. You see, we, we need to get in tune with the Lord. And if we'll walk by faith and We'll, eventually, we will suffer. Persecution is coming, friend. It's coming to the church. And when it comes, we ought not be caught by surprise. We need to be ready. We need to already be determined already in our own life if we're going to go with the Lord or if we're going to go with the world. 
I mean, you know, let's say that uh, they tell us we can't even meet anymore, that they can't, uh, we can't do something. Is that going to stop us from serving the Lord? I hope not. I hope if they take everything that we have, I hope it does not stop us from meeting together and worshiping the king above all kings. Next we see in this passage that evangelism works. Evangelism works. Now they were going and sharing the gospel to just the Jewish people, but in verse 20, we see men of Cyprus and Cyrene who were coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. They were speaking to the Greek people, preaching the Lord Jesus. The word preaching means proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the good news. It's the word we get our evangelism from there uh, preaching. In fact, some translations may even have evangelism of the Lord Jesus, of sharing the good news, sharing of the gospel. Evangelism works. Did you know that? That if you tell people the gospel, and if God has prepared their heart, and if he decides to save them, they can be born again. So are we getting the gospel out? Are we helping proclaim and publish the good news of the gospel. This happens best through personal evangelism. You talk to people about what you love. You know, the people uh, this week at cruising, there's all these cool cars. Man, they're awesome, aren't they? They're everywhere. There's all kinds of cars, all shapes and sizes. And if you walk up to somebody's car, and if they're standing there, and you ask them about that car, what are they going to do? Boy, they're going to start telling you all about it. They're going to tell you where they bought it. They're going to tell you more than you want to know about their car. If there's a previous owner, they're going to tell you the previous owner and what state they lived in and where that car was manufactured. If they put a new uh, carburetor on that car, they're going to tell you where they bought that carburetor and when they did it and how they did it. New paint job, when it was repainted, the, the new rims, the new tires. They're going to tell you all about that car. Why? Because they love it. They love that car. That's their hobby. That's one of their passions. There's nothing wrong with that passion. But as believers, we should talk about the Lord Jesus because we love him, because he's worked in our life, and we talk to people about what we love. Have you been in a barbershop or a hair salon lately? And you just hear people start talking. And a lot of times, what do people talk about? Things that they love. People talk about their kids. Why? Because they love them. Grandparents talk about the grandbabies because they love them. The problem in the church in America is that we have forgotten our first love. We've forgotten about the one who loves us all more than anybody else. We've forgotten what he's done in our life because if we, if we remember, we're going to talk to people about him all the time. Day after day after day, it's just going to be natural to talk and testify about the grace of our God. Oh, well, that's why we have a pastor. That, that's why we have a youth minister. That, that's why we have deacons. That's why we have some of these other people that like to lead and step up. No, friend, if you're in the kingdom... It's on your position description to tell other people about Jesus. Because if you get to heaven and you didn't tell anybody about Jesus, that's going to be really sad. And, and you know what? We can change that now. We can say, Lord, 
I'm not, just be honest. Lord, I'm not good at talking about people, about you, and, and I'm uncomfortable, but God, help me find my place to serve. Help me find how I can help get the gospel out to people. Coming up at the end of the month, we have an opportunity. If you like giving out candy to children, if you like dressing up in crazy costumes, man, this is your day. It's an easy way to help point people to Christ. So you come sign up October 30th. This past weekend, we had people serving jambalaya, cooking hot dogs and chili and, and making red beans and rice and doing all kinds of things, cooking beignets and serving our community and serving people from out of town and serving locals, all in the name of Jesus. Conversation after conversation after conversation. And it was awesome. So all of you that served, thank you for showing up, for helping be a part of that. It's not rocket science. People need love, people need Jesus, and we have him. And he's called us to take the good news to them. You know, the Lord sent Barnabas to check this out. God began to move. They were preaching the Lord Jesus. Verse 21 says, the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, he was sent to Antioch for two reasons. Number one, to verify that this was legit. To verify. And so he goes to check it out. Man, are these people, are they, are they, have they lost their mind or are they truly get, coming to Christ? And number two, he went to encourage them if it was legit. And so that's what he does. And Barnabas, we know he was a fine man. He was full of the spirit. He was full of faith. Look what he says. Verse 22, he came and he saw the grace of God and look at his attitude. He was glad, he was excited. He had good theology. He, he, he knew his Bible. He knew the words of Christ. He, he expected God to do this. He encourages them. Look what he encourages them to do, to remain faithful to the Lord. The word there for faithful is, is it's talking about a relationship uh, as if a, a man remains faithful to his wife, uh, remain faithful in a relationship. It, in other words, to not cheat on the Lord, to, not, to, 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 to remain faithful in our walk with the Lord and to not let anything else that we love take place of him in our life. So he says, keep the faith, church, keep the faith. He, he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord. And he says, with steadfast purpose. The word steadfast is talking about resolute, determined, unflinchable. Have rock solid faith in the Lord and have purpose to be intentional. Are you living an intentional life today? Barnabas would say if he showed up today and he sat by you on the chair and we have five minutes to, to fellowship, he'd say, I believe he would encourage you to keep the faith. I believe he would encourage us to keep the faith and to live intentional lives focused on the Lord Jesus. So are you and I, are we living intentional lives? I mean, if you're going to be plugged in a small group, are you being intentional to be committed to that? To not just show up when you feel like it, but to show up maybe when you don't feel like it? Well, God calls you to be committed to serve in some area of the church. Are, are you going to be committed to be intentional to finish what you started? If you sign up to help with the security team and you, and you never show up ever, but you signed up and you told them you want to help, if you're going to say you want to help, show up. Man, we need you. We need 
10 times the people that we have serving on many different teams. If you're going to rest on a Sunday afternoon, if you feel like the Lord God wants you to rest because you've been working all week, working 12, 13-hour days, God, he wants you to rest. You don't have to take a nap, but he wants you to rest. So if we're going to rest, you, hey, you need to block off everything and spend that hour, or that two hours resting. Focus on the Lord. Rest. Let him minister to you. If you're going to go talk down, uh, go talk to your neighbor. Don't just think about it. Friend, just do it. Just go knock on the door, take up some cookies in the name of Jesus, cut the grass, be intentional. Whatever we're doing, God's calling us to be intentional, to live intentional lives with a purpose and to focus on the mission. And what's the mission? Well, to make disciples of all nations. It's not just leading them to Christ. Then it's after they receive Christ. Let's walk with them, teach them how to pray, how to read the Bible, how to walk with the Lord, how to avoid the pitfalls. Satan's going to try to make us fall into those pits. Next we see what happens at the end of this chapter is that God uses little churches to do great big things. Here at the very end of verse 27 says, Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Paul, Barnabas and Paul. Many Bible scholars believe that the, the powerful church in Jerusalem as far as influence and missions, they would be surpassed by the church in Antioch. You know, in the back of your Bible, it's got all the maps uh, sometimes in the back of your Bible, and it's got like Paul's first missionary journey and Paul's second missionary journey and Paul's third missionary journey. Have you seen those before? The very first missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas are sent out on are sent out by the church in Antioch. It was the church in Antioch that went and found some horses to carry Paul and Barnabas. It was the church in Antioch that said, hey, I have this great casserole recipe. It's like a modern-day cliff bar, and it's good protein. You can eat this on your journey. It was the senior adult ladies that went and grabbed Barnabas and pieced him on the cheek and said, Barney, I'm praying for you that you take the gospel to these people. I wish I could go with you, brother, but I'm going to be praying for you. It was the church in Antioch that that financially supported these guys going on their first journey to plant churches, to, to encourage the churches that already existed. And many think that the church in Antioch surpassed the mission's influence of even the church in Jerusalem. And maybe that's not true, we don't really know, but we do know that this was a little small, tiny church and they began to grow spiritually, they began to grow numerically. And we're talking about them in 2019. And so they, this little tiny church, God used to do great big things for the kingdom. Do you know that God can and will use little churches to do great big things? Did you know that? Do you know that most Southern Baptist churches are about, the average size is about 30, 40 people? Did you know that? Who in this church grew up in a small church of about 100 people or less? Okay. Look how wonderful you turned out. Yeah, 
God uses little churches to rock the nations, the ones that are obedient. This little church would begin to support even the Jerusalem church. You know, the famine was coming to Judea. And if it were not, for all we know, if it weren't for the church in Antioch, looking after and supplying these other churches, many of them would have died. In fact, the Jerusalem church, it could have died for all, for all we know if it were not for the Antioch Christians sending food, sending relief. God used them to be a part of something much greater than themselves. When churches begin to think that they have arrived, they finally get the worship center that they want, they finally get whatever they think is their dream, then oftentimes they begin to settle and they begin to look inwardly and they stop dreaming and they don't want to dream anymore. They don't want to dream about doing great things outside of the walls because they're content and their dream that they had, it, it's here. And so that's good enough. Friend, we need to make sure we check in on what God's dream is. And God's dream for his churches is to be obedient, to go and do whatever he calls us to do. To be the lighthouse in our community. To point people to Christ. To love those people that nobody else wants to love. What about you? What party do you belong to today? Do you belong to Christ? You say, well, I go to church. Well, friend, Cornelius went to church. His family went to church, yet he didn't know Christ. You have to receive the gospel. You have to repent and believe. Receive the gospel today. If you do not know Christ, this is a great day to get out of your old station wagon and get in God's car and go cruising with Christ. Today is the best day to do it, to go with the Lord. You know how we grow spiritually? You ever thought, well, Barnabas and Paul and all these great leaders, why are they so special? Well, I believe what made them special was they had, they spent time with God. You know that you can be close to the Lord? Do you know that we will be close to the Lord as we want to be? It, it's nobody else. There's no excuses. It, it's as, as human beings who claim to be saved and know Christ, we will be as close to God as we want to be. Because the Bible says he'll draw close to us if we'll draw close to him. And so the question I have for you is, do you have a time in your day where you meet with the Lord, where you personally grow closer to him? So I've talked about this many times and I haven't talked about it recently. First, you need a, you need a time of the day you're going to meet with God. If you're a night owl, you probably should meet with the Lord late at night. That should be your time. If you're a middle-of-the-day person, you thrive in the middle of the day, that should be your time to pray and to read the Bible. If, you, if you're a morning person, no better time of the day to meet with the Lord. Early in the morning to rise with Him. By the way, you know, most spiritual heroes of the faith had their quiet times in the morning time. Jesus did. In fact, well, Jesus did late at night and in the morning and all throughout the night sometimes. But that's a personal thing that we have to build discipline and, and to grow into. So you got your time of the day. Next, you need your place. Where's your place going to be? 
that you meet with the Lord? Where's your place? Is it going to be your chair in your living room? Men, fall asleep easily in that chair. You probably shouldn't do the chair, but do the chair. If you, if you, the bedroom is the only quiet place in your house, maybe you should do the bedroom. My wife, growing up, after she came to Christ, there's a bedroom in her, there's a place in the floor at her house that she spent time after time, day after day, week after week, in the floor, reading her Bible, spending time with the Lord. And actually, that's where I proposed. Yes, I did. Oh, yes. Yes, I did. Right there in that spot. In fact, I don't think I'd ever been up there in that bedroom. And Well, I'm not telling that story. But I, I said, hey, well, let's go up here. And she looked at me and I said, there's something I want to show you. Got down on my knee, man. Right there. Ask her. So you got to have your place do you have a swing on your back porch that you really like? A, a rocking chair on your front porch? Do you guys think I'm crazy? Hey, this, this, is, your, this is more important than you come to church. Now, that's part of it. Because see, here, here's the thing. If you, if you meet with God privately, you know what he's going to say? You better have your, your tail in church. You better be in a small group. You better be hanging out with other Christians. So if we'll get our private time with the Lord right, it will adjust everything else in our life. So we've got to have a place, got to have a time. Next, we need a Bible. You need a copy of God's Word. In fact, you probably should bring it to church on Sundays as well. That's a good idea, to bring God's Word. It's just, it makes the devil mad, so why wouldn't you want to do it? Just, just make him mad, just bring it. Take it to work also. That'll get your coworker. just set your Bible on your desk at work. That'll get their attention. Teenagers, college students, take your Bible to class. Set it on the desk. Just dare somebody to ask you about it. When you go eat by yourself out in public, take your Bible with you. Take it with you. Now, if you go to Chick-fil-A, they're going to expect you to have it. But, it. but if you go other places, if you go other places, just set it on, your, set it on the table. Man, you'll have everybody in that Popeye's looking at you funny. I mean, they'll all be looking at you. Take, take it with you. The bigger the Bible, the better. Take the biggest Bible you have and, and take it to eat with you. Now, don't get food on it, okay? God's Word's holy. We don't want to damage the Word. You say, well, Pastor, I don't know what kind of Bible I need to buy. Well, if you're a lady and you love pink, you can have a pink Bible. If you love camo and you want to have a camouflage Bible, you can have a camo Bible. So go to the store and buy you a Bible. Well, what translation am I supposed to buy? Well, Actually, contrary to popular opinion, most English translations are really good translations of the Bible. Not all of them, but the King James Version is a great translation. It's in Old English. So if you love speaking in Old English, that is your text. The New King James is a very good translation. I preach out of the English Standard Version on Sundays. Why? Because it's Word for word, very literal translation of the Word of God, yet the readability is, a, is, a, is awesome. The New American Standard Bible is one that I study during the week because uh, I believe maybe the most, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but maybe the most accurate word for word translation that there is, New American Standard translation. I remember Louis Giglio whenever I was in seventh grade camp, Student Life uh, Covenant College in Chattanooga, Tennessee, he says, go, go to the Lifeway, 
buy the New American Standard Version Bible on the bottom row at $7. It's unpopular, but it's cheap, and it's accurate, and it's good. And so I did that. NIV, New International Version. The 1987 or 84, I don't remember, 84, 87, that is an excellent translation of God's Word. Now, in 2010, 2011, they updated it. Whenever they updated it, they changed away a few of the, the words, they, and so they did it subtly. And so I want to encourage you to go get the older version of the 1980 edition NIV. If, I mean, don't throw it away. It's not that big of a deal, but if you want to throw it away, you can. It's okay. People ask me all the time as a pastor, can I throw away the, how do I discard an old Bible? And, and I say, just, just throw it away and go buy a new one. Go buy a new one, okay? What other translations? Oh, the message is a popular one. But actually, Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message, it's not a translation of Scripture. It's a paragraph. It's, a, it's really a commentary. And so some people have, uh, on one side of the text, it's got the message, and on the other side, it's got the Scripture. That's a great tool. But you shouldn't depend on the message as being scripture. It's a, tr it's a summary. It's not a word-for-word -word translation of God's word, okay? So people that just use only the message for their Bible, that's not really the Bible. So it's not a good idea to do that. New Living Translation is a great translation of scripture. Uh, the New Christian Standard Bible is very accurate. The readability is awesome. It's a brand-new translation. You can look that up, Christian Standard Bible. So if you have a question about Bible translations, please talk to our student pastor, Dustin Pierce. He's right over here. He knows all about translations of the Bible, okay? But you need to get one. Next, you need maybe a journal. Now, I know ladies like to journal sometimes, but the men really struggle with that. But men, how cool would it be if one day your kids and grandkids, when you pass on to glory and they start looking through dad's old stuff, they're going to find out a lot about us, aren't they? And so don't you want them to find out some times where you spent with the Lord and for them to read what grandpa was thinking about and what grandpa was praying about? And so in your, you, you read a paragraph of scripture. I want to encourage you to start in the first part of a book and work your way through an entire book of the Bible. There's a lot of apps that can help you have a reading plan and different things. But so you have your journal and write down maybe um, what, you, what the scripture's saying, what you think it's saying, how it applies to your day. Maybe write how your day is going or how it went. Maybe you need to vent. Anybody feels good to vent, right? And so we should maybe vent and talk to the Lord and be honest with him because he understands more than anybody else. He understands who we are and where we're at. So we can talk to the Lord, just write that out. If you're very poetic and you like writing poems, then you can write a poem to illustrate the scripture or what God's doing in your life, your prayer. You can write out a prayer. If you're super artistic and you like to draw, draw how you, what, what you feel like the Lord's doing in your life. You should enjoy your time with God. So I think a nice beverage also helps you enjoy your time with the Lord. Maybe coffee or unsweet tea or uh, if I get real excited about the Lord, I, I partake in a Mountain Dew Code Red. It really encourages my faith in the Lord. 
We should enjoy our time with God. It shouldn't be this burden. Oh, man, I've got to meet with God today. No, it should be the best part of our day. The best part. You know, some of the best quiet times, if I'm being totally honest, that I've ever had are those times when I went into it, I wasn't excited about it. Man, I had sin in my life. I had stuff going on. I was like, oh, man, I know God's word's like a mirror, and it's going to cut deep, and it's going to tell me what I don't want to hear. But it's some of those times that I, I just so begrudgingly went into it, and I got into it, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm so dumb. I almost missed this. I almost missed what God was saying. I almost missed God's word for me on this day. I believe God's calling many people in the house today to start taking personal responsibility for your relationship with God. It's not anybody else can do it for you, friend. God's calling you to, to fall in love with him all over again, to come back to your first love, to come and to let him be the center of your life, to come be the passion that when you, when you get out of the bed in the morning, your, your feet hit the ground. It's, man, I get to serve the Lord today. I get to walk with God today. I get to serve him and go where he sends me and talk to people for his glory. Do you have that kind of relationship with the Lord? These people, they were just Gentiles. They, they just were not supposed to have a strong relationship with God, and yet God used them to turn the world upside down. God used these little churches in Antioch to launch the gospel to the nations. And I wonder, how many unreached people groups are going to be impacted by what God does in our church? How many people are going to hear the gospel by what God does? In our, how many people in the Bay? How many people in Hancock County? What's your dream? What's your dream in your own life? Dreams that you want to see God do in your life? Where do you want to grow spiritually? Maybe you want to see your tithe increase. Man, that's one of my dreams. I love that one day, man, I'm, I'm getting to tithe half my check, that, that I can figure out a way to, man, maybe tithe the whole thing. Wouldn't that be awesome to get to a faith? Where, man, you're, you're tithing and you're trusting God to take care of you. Man, isn't that exciting to trust the Lord? What's your dreams for your grandchildren? What are your dreams for your marriage? Satan wants us to stop dreaming. Last time I checked, God's word says that he can move mountains. Some people have forgotten that. Many days I forget it personally. But I'm starting to believe it again. And I want to encourage you. Don't let anybody take their little discouraging squirt gun and extinguish your flame. You be fired up for the Lord. You follow him. You don't let anybody stop you, okay? Let's just see what he's going to do in our lives. Right now, there's somebody in the house, and you don't know Christ. You know church, you grew up in the church, but you, man, you've never, you've never received the Lord. And today, he's calling you to come just as you are. Don't, don't try to clean your life up. Oh, friend, you can't do that. You just come to him. Bring all the mess, all the garbage. You just come straight to him. And he'll begin to change you from the inside out. He'll help you. You just come to him just as you are. You got to take that first step, though. You say, what's my wife going to think about me? What's my parents going to think about me? Man, what's my fellow church member? You know, maybe you've served as a deacon years ago in this church, and you realize now that you, you don't even know Christ. Hey, what better day than today? 
You know, I know some pastors that were preaching sermons and got saved. Their own self, they were preaching and they, accept, they realized that they didn't know Christ. So we all need to, just, to look deep inside our heart. Man, has there been that time in our life that we came to Christ and let him save us, let him change us from the inside out? If you never made that decision, today is a great day. Get out of the old car. Man, come join God's car. And cruise with Christ. Let's pray.